Welcome to the Ronin Rabbit. This is episode 112. I am your host, Ed Moore. The Ronin Rabbit is a Usagi Ojimbo fan podcast that likes to spoil the stories. So keep that in mind as we move forward. Teal Productions on Twitter is where you can reach me there. I post the episodes on Facebook on the Usagi Ojimbo Dojo page. BigTimeNoise.com slash Ronin Rabbit is the website and the email address, usagipodcast at gmail.com. Today's story comes from Usagi Ojimbo Volume 3, Issue 36, published by Dark Horse Comics, cover dated February 2000, and is Part 3 of Mystery of the Demon Mask. Dramatis personae include, but are not limited to, Miyamoto Usagi, our protagonist, Death Mask, our primary antagonist, Assistant Inspector Nita, Kuroda, and Inspector Kojo, not necessarily listed in order of appearance. And as we left off last issue, last episode, Usagi turned back inside of Inspector Kojo's residence as he heard a sound. Investigating the sound, he then hears the sound of a sword being drawn and ducks, just as from around the corner, Death Mask slashes at Usagi and would have de-eared him except for the fact that he was able to retract his very long ears as well in squatting down to the floor. As he tumbled and fell, he fell in such a position that he could not draw his katana, so was forced to draw his wakasashi just in time to parry the next blow from Death Mask. As the sword fight continues, Usagi is disarmed. Finding no other way, he jumps through the paper bamboo mesh wall out into the courtyard of the house itself. Or no, I'm sorry, into another room. Uh, because we see Death Mask who opens the door and it's those cool sliding panels that are prominent in uh, in Japanese houses. Slides the panel open as Usagi has opportunity now to draw his full blade, his katana. A full-on sword fight ensues. The go board gets knocked over. The lighting in the room gets knocked over and starts a small fire, which soon will grow into a not-so-small fire. They continue fighting until Usagi starts getting the upper hand and Death Mask is forced to retreat. First, he retreats through that same sliding door, sliding it shut between them to be a barrier. As Usagi opens it, Death Mask is running off and Usagi has to make a call. Do I chase him or do I come back in here and try to stop this fire? Because if this fire is not stopped, it could very soon engulf the entire town, depending. So, of course, being the honorable man who was found to be inside someone else's house uninvited to begin with, hmm, he goes inside to stop the fire. Tries to do what he can, but then runs out yelling fire, fire, screaming so that the sentry posted in the big tower that you'll always see sitting in these towns, like three or four times the height of all the buildings sitting up there. And after yelling and getting that person's attention, who then alerts the fire brigade, Usagi rushes back inside because he realizes that his wakasashi was left in there. And he cries out, it's my honor. I can't leave it to be destroyed but neither can he really leave it to be evidence that he was inside the house when the fire started until he has an opportunity to explain why he was inside the house when the fire started. But that's not the way it's portrayed. That's just me speaking out. 
We see the sentry complaining about any number of things, being that high in the air, it being cold, trying not to fall asleep. You know, why am I always the one pulling this duty? But then he notices the fire, alerts the fire brigade. They come running, two, four, five, six members, and Tokagi, which I thought was cool. The Tokagi isn't carrying anything, but he's running along with them. Usagi has his wakasashi, tries to get outside, but finds as he tries different methods, each method is blocked from him exiting the building. So he is caught inside a fully involved structure fire at this point. On scene, on site, the fire brigade is there. They start doing a room by room of the structure to make sure there's no one left in. Help Usagi get out into the fresh air where he can breathe and out of the smoke and everything like that. So he's off to the side. Usagi is leaning against a tree, coughing. Soon after, he is seen sitting, you know, down on the ground next to the same tree. One of the fire brigade men bring him, brings him a bucket of water so that he can get a drink and wash his throat. And who should appear? None other than Inspector, uh, excuse me, Assistant Inspector Nita, asking what has occurred. Usagi gives him the story, and uh, Nita immediately tells Usagi, look, you may be telling the truth. I have no reason to believe that or to not believe that, but I don't fully believe that. Either way, I just want you out of town. Uh, Kuroda comes up from, I don't know, having sat and drank at a bar. I think that was the last time we saw him. Uh, and Nita tells him, and you, you said you would already be gone. I definitely want you gone by morning. He really berates Kuroda and uh, Usagi is, is trying to apologize to him, but uh, Kuroda tells him he has long been that way, uh, very angry. He's long been that way, more so after his mother died on the road. He blamed me for that. And Usagi exclaims and says, He is your son. Yes, he is Nita's son, Kuroda is. Which explains a little bit. So he goes on, Kuroda, to tell him the story. He was... Uh, wrongfully accused and convicted of embezzling, um, charged to commit seppuku, but it's, I thought he was given a choice. He, he didn't give a choice. He skipped town. He skipped out on his ob- obligations, uh, his honor obligations, I should say, taking his wife and child with him into the life that that would lead, um, him being homeless, um, poverty-stricken, uh, on, on the... Uh, being hunted by the police at every turn. And so that is the life that Nita grew up in and the life that ultimately killed Nita's mother, uh, Kuroda's wife. Some coughing and, and spasming here for effect to show that he's sick. Usagi tells him that they need to get him a doctor and he says, I'm beyond a doctor's help. I've contracted a sickness of the lungs consumption, I would assume. A disease brought in by foreigners on their accursed black ships. Darn those white men taking their white diseases all over the world as they explored. And yes, just for uh, full disclosure, I'm white as well. And I said that tongue-in-cheek, but it was also very, very true that that's what European explorers did as they they traveled around. They brought their diseases to two parts of the world that had never had those diseases and so had no natural immunity, no knowledge of fighting the diseases. Um, here we have a, an example from Japan. Uh, the history books are rife with examples for the Americas 
North, Central, and South America as the European explorers brought those same diseases this way as well. So a very, a very true thing. Usagi and Kuroda, sorry for that aside, I just thought I'd throw it in there, came to mind, so I spoke it. Usagi says he's going south on his journeys towards, um, what's his face's temple? Um, excuse me while I try to find the name of the Sensobo. That's it, Sensobo's temple. And uh, Kuroda says he's heading north. Interrupting their conversation is Inspector Kojo, who is returning from having uh, checked on the scene from last issue of the Pile O Samurai. Comes back to find that his house is burning, and Usagi doesn't want to tell him the story. He says that Assistant Inspector Nita will explain it all. And after speaking to Inspector Kojo, as he turns to continue his conversation with Kuroda, he finds out that Kuroda has walked off coughing, coughing his way uh, north, as it were. So later that night at, a, at an inn, perhaps the same inn where the pile o samurai were outside of the last white sky inn or something like that, they called it. Uh, he is getting ready for bed, but he can't really seem to sleep. Now, something interesting here, Usagi has on a very plain white uh, robe, which is not particularly interesting. But what is, is that he decides he can't sleep and gets dressed. So he dresses over top of that. So he is wearing a plain white undercoat of some sort. And it's something that I have not noticed him wearing before. So he puts on his regular attire and heads on out. Runs into a couple of the deputies who are practicing as they were told they would have to. The smaller fells the larger with a stroke that Usagi says, I've seen that move before. And the smaller one, the winner, says... That cut is called the Full Moon Slash. The late assistant inspector Tukuyo taught it to us. And Usagi says, Inspector Kojo's son taught you that move? Yes, he was an excellent swordsman, and he taught us what his father had taught him. And at that point, Usagi says, I know who Demon Mask is. You gather the other officers and meet us on the North Road. And you, you come with me. And Usagi heads off uh, running north and encounters, sure enough, Death Mask with a dead Kuroda lying at his feet. And here, um, Usagi says, um, I know who you are, Death Mask, or should I call you Inspector Kojo? And what follows is an explanation of those hints that were given us that uh, they were the same person. And if you'll indulge me a moment. That Ronin I witnessed Demon Mask kill, you called him old. But your deputies did not describe him, and neither did I. You could not have known that unless you were there hearing him wheeze as he fought you. You knew I was outside your home. The full moon cast my faint shadow on your shoji door. I should have been suspicious when you left to examine the crime scene, since I was told that you no longer took an active part in investigations, and instead you pretended to leave to lure me into your ambush." The guards were practicing the full moon stroke, an unusual move. The same cut I saw Demon Mask use. Your son taught it to them, and you told me yourself you taught Tokuyo all he knew. You overheard Kuroda as he told me he was going north. You knew I was going south to Priest Senshobo's temple. You chose to kill him because he's the weaker of us. And here is where the bad guy feigns guilt 
and tries to explain why he did it. And, and you hear him uh, start to come unhinged as you realize that he's insane. He's exclaiming and, and, and crying with his face covered. But then when he uncovers his face, he has a darkened eyebrow and face and evil looking eyes showing he is indeed insane. Inspector Kojo tells the officer that came up with Usagi to kill him immediately. And the officer hesitates, so Kojo attacks. And he is sword drawn, attacking, has already closed over half the distance between the two before Usagi even has a chance to draw, which I thought was pretty impressive. But he does manage to unsheathe his katana and a fight ensues. Ultimately, Usagi kills Tokuo falling to the ground dead. At this point, Assistant Inspector Nita and the other two officers arrive. He is not moved at all, the Assistant Inspector, that his dad is dead and tells Usagi to move on. As I said before, Ronan, I never want to see you again. And he turns and leaves, leaving the policeman to uh, to clean up the scene there. So, let's see. Wakazashi, uh, they gave that to us. And Ronan, uh, they gave that word to us. Wakazashi is the shorter of the swords that the samurai carry, and Ronin is masterless samurai. All right, in the notes and references here, for people living in wood and paper homes, fire was a big concern. It didn't take much to set a home on fire, and any strong wind could quickly spread it out of control. There were some 20 major fires in Edo from 1600 to 1866, one of the most destructive in 1657 in which uh, killed 108,000 people and destroyed half the city. Many precautions were taken to prevent the spread of fire. Large barrels of water and buckets were kept on streets. Many streets themselves were wide enough to act as fire breaks. Uh, fire towers equipped with bells or alarm boards were erected throughout the city. Uh, Mr. Sakai drew one of those for us. The location and ferocity of the flames were indicated by the number and strength of strokes hitting the alarm. Now, he he did show that the sentry was hitting an alarm panel. Firefighters were organized by the daimyo, the lord, to protect his castle and the homes of his retainers, and by merchants to protect their own interests. Firefighters were called tobi no mono, or hikeshi. The term tobi no mono, tobi meaning Siberian black kite, and mono person, comes from the fact that the hook they use had a head shaped like the beak of a kite. Uh, we saw that on page 7. Uh, Mr. Sakai drew that for us. Or on page 9, sorry. And Hikeshi, which is fire extinguisher, he says is a much more descriptive term. Um, the Damyo's firefighters were protected by leather clothing with hooded helmets, whereas the town's Toby wore heavy cotton clothing. And the... Uh, group was mainly composed of carpenters and roofers, other construction experts, the, the layperson. Large mallets and poles were used to knock down walls. Bamboo ladders enabled the firefighters to climb, and hooks tore down burning roofs. The um, standards uh, representing each of the different um, fire companies, we, we see an example of that on page 7. Um, that way, those whose building had been saved would know who they were responsible for paying for saving their building because the standard bearer would get as close to the fire as he could to mark that this was their fire. Now, for references, Mr. Sakai tells us that the firefighting scenes were taken from History of Firefighting in Japan, 
which was brought to us by Tadayoshi Yamamoto, published in 1981 by Fukuen Kan Shoten out of Tokyo, a wonderful picture book depicting the firefighters from the Edo period to the present in uh, Everyday Life in Traditional Japan by Charles J. Dunn, 1969, Charles E. Tuttle Company of Rutland, Vermont, and Tokyo described the structure of the fire department. And then in Kabuki Costume by Ruth M. Shaver with illustrations by Soma Akira and Otagako, 1966, Charles E. Tuttle Company, described in detail the Toby and his uniform. And then in Japan Day by Day by Edward S. Morris, 1945, Houghton Mifflin out of Boston, gives a fascinating account of three fires witnessed by the author, one extinguished by traditional means and then one using the foreign-type water pumps which um, manually operated wooden pumps were introduced in the mid-18th century to shoot streams of water through bamboo pipes. That's what that was. So that's um, issue 36. Next time out, guys, a brand new story. I believe it's a one-off story. We have two more one-off stories, and then we get into another multi-part epic. Uh, Next episode will be Usagi Ojimbo, Volume 3, Issue 37, cover dated April 2000. Talk to you then. Ciao. The Ronin Rabbit Podcast is a Teal production, and as such, is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution, Non-Commercial, Non-Derivatives, 3.0, Unported License.